probably this evening, have a pretty good idea of what Isaiah is all about. And a lot of people refer to Isaiah as kind of as a mini-Bible. you got the first 39 uh, chapters, and as you read through them, and I'm right now reading through all of those, there's a very heavy overtone of judgment. It's not judgment just against some of the other nations around, but it's sometimes right in the crosshairs, as it were, is Judah and Jerusalem. The second half of the books, from 40 to 66, corresponds a little bit more to the New Testament. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who we heard a little bit about this evening in that book, and that title, he referred to particularly that second half of Isaiah as the gospel according to Isaiah. And brothers and sisters, when you read that, you start in Isaiah chapter 40, and you go to the end, and there's a flavor there that very nearly looks like New Testament language. There's a flavor there of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And in 53, and you see what Jesus would go through for us. And so that's there. But tonight we're going to be in chapter 29. And let me say just a word to you about Isaiah. He ministered for over 60 years. Think about that. When we think of a pastor who's already got 40 years behind him, we think of an old gray head. And we have generally pretty good feelings. Well, here's Isaiah, and he's ministered for over 60 years. And he's gone through a number of different kingly administrations. One's out, the next one's in. Another one out, the next one in. And he's there faithfully being a prophet to the nation. And in the midst of this 29th chapter, there's intermingled words of judgment and actually a little bit of hope as well. And I looked at uh, what John Calvin had to say about this, and he said in this particular chapter, you have a very strong discourse with threatenings. Brothers and sisters, if I could borrow Texas expression, this here is stronger than bear's breath. This is not anything to trifle with. God is serious with what he deals with his people. It's a very serious warning. And Isaiah in particular, in this verse that's before us tonight, is going to rebuke the people for two sins. Hypocrisy and man-made religion. Now, we heard about hypocrisy, and it was interesting to me as I heard Pastor Brad preach this morning that in the text that we had this morning, that word hypocrites came up for the first time. And actually, as I first began to look at this verse here, and it says, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, the first thing that struck me was an old word that we hear, used to use a lot. They're doing nothing more than lip service. Lip service. And as I began to think a little bit about it, and I did take a glance at Mark chapter 7, it looked like to me that the better way to look at this was the idea of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. These, this people draw near with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. I don't know if you know this about the Old Testament, but there's a parallelism that oftentimes comes out. And it's done, the repetition is done intentionally so that we get it. You know, today we have neon signs. You go down to Dixon Street at nighttime, and you can see 
you know, all of, you know, the place is open, what kind of beer do they have, and all that sort of stuff. You know, you look at a newspaper, if you still get one of those, and they actually have a bold-faced type. This is an oral people in this day with Isaiah, and they don't have those advantages, so they repeat. And when something's repeated in Scripture, it's to get our attention and to shake us a little bit. Are you paying attention? And so we have this very strong word. The repetition underscores the severity of the offense against the Holy One of Israel. That's who we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with some chump God from another country. We're dealing with the Holy One of Israel. And we don't come flippantly into His presence. It's not just non-Christians who condemn hypocrisy. God hates it. And he judges it. But that verse goes on, and it starts to talk about a second thing in there. And he says, uh, their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Their hearts are far from me. And this is a charge that Isaiah brings to the people. Your hearts are far from God. I don't know how he could see their hearts. I can't see my own heart. I can't see yours either. But he saw the way that they lived, and he discerned that their hearts were far from God. And you might think, Isaiah, how in the world can you prove that? And then he brings out this other. This one's not such a, much, so much a parallelism as it's a, a statement and then a proof. And he says, their fear of me, and it's interesting, the NIV, and then also, as what we read this morning in the ESV, The word is not fear of me, but rather it's worship. Their worship of me is a commandment taught by men. And so it's something man-made. It's what they do. We're going to bring this. You're going to be pleased with it. And this is a rebuke from Isaiah. And it's it's very, very serious. Let me underscore this right here. And, and some of you know that I'm a volunteer chaplain in the jail. And I listen to people all the time as they talk with me and they interact with me. And you know what I get out of a lot of that? It's what I see in a lot of other places, too. And it's this. We come to God on his terms. We don't come to him on our terms. We come to him on his terms as he prescribes, not on our terms as we would like things to be. We play games. We say, God, you've got to do such and so, or I'm not going to be happy with you. Now, there's been a charge here leveled against the people. Hypocrisy, man-made religion. And so we want to draw this to where we live today. How broadly do we apply this charge, this warning against hypocrisy and man-made religion? Well, certainly the Jews of Isaiah's day. They're right there. They see him walking in their midst. So these Jews are guilty of that. But the broader context of Isaiah leads me to this conclusion. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, 5, says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am, a, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. And do you hear what Isaiah is saying? He's not just pointing out there. He's pointing in here. And he just included himself. And you might think, well, Isaiah, that was just you getting started when you just got going in ministry. And, of course, now you've been doing this for quite a long time, and that's not his stance anymore, except for one thing. The Word of God tells us a different story. And all the way at the end of Isaiah, we read this in chapter 64 and verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Do you understand what he just said? He said, our. He didn't say your. He didn't say you people that I've been blasting all the way through this whole book. He said, our iniquities. And they're like a filthy garment. And I'll just allude to this. My wife told me not to get too graphic here. But that word in the original Hebrew is not a, not a very nice word. It is very, very graphic. And all of our righteousness is like a bloody rag. That's not a very good picture. We don't come to God with all of kind of good things. And, boy, God, you ought to be glad that I'm on your team. Really? I don't think so. Well, then we heard this morning that the message was also applied to the Jews of Jesus' day, in particular the Pharisees, but around the, the other people as well. But I want to tell you, we better be careful. This also applies to us. This word applies to all peoples of all times. And when you think in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing in Romans, and he's writing to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. And in chapter 2, he's focused on Gentiles. And in chapter 3, he starts to get focused on Jews. And then he starts to bring all these quotations from the Old Testament, and he drives the hammer home when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there you have everybody busted. We have no chance. We have no chance. But what about the people that live today? I've mentioned hypocrisy. And the world, boy, if there's one thing they can't stand. You start talking to anybody at any point along the way, and they'll, they'll bring out all the hypocrisy that they see in Christians. And there is undoubtedly a lot. Pastor Brad alluded to that. We know our own hearts. But guess what? The culture around us is full of hypocrites as well. Now, I found it helpful as I've interacted people. Sometimes it disarms them a little bit when I, I tell you, yeah, you're right. I am a hypocrite. I know that, and that's why I need Jesus. And sometimes that disarms them a little bit because they're expected you to get your hackles up and to be defensive at that point, and then you basically just convince them of their point being accurate. So... A couple of weeks, uh, not yesterday, but the week prior, I'm in the jail. We're looking at Mark chapter 5, and we're looking at the demoniac. And the first point that I've got for them is Jesus cares. And I said, man, look at this guy's laundry list of stuff. And he cares for that man. And so then I asked the question, where would you, what, what Bible verse do you think is the most famous Bible verse that would really underscore that? And, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to say John 3.16. And the guys that I'm meeting with, they're just kind of sitting there and nothing. And guess what? One of the other inmates that's walking past wasn't even a part of our study. He says, John 
I said, that's actually what I was looking for. Could, do you happen to, could you be able to quote it? And guess what? The guy quoted John 3.16. And I said, man, we're, getting, we're studying the scriptures here. Do you want to come right in and join in with us? He didn't have time for that. He could quote John 3.16 in the jail, but he didn't have time to study the scriptures. And I wonder sometimes if you're here tonight as and you wouldn't even say you're a Christian. You're not sure why you're here. Somebody invited you, whatever the issue might be. But you think of that. Do you do stuff like that? You push people off? Or you quote a Bible verse? Or you have a token of something that you like? James 2.19. This is one of the verses through the years that it really have, uh, has spoken to me. James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Knowing a Bible verse, being able to quote something, saying that I, I do believe in prayer. I'm glad for you to pray for me. These can be tokens. We don't want to be put off by that. We want to be sure to do they know the Lord. And if you're here tonight and you find some of these things to be a little bit penetrating, Maybe you tolerate religious viewpoints maybe than some of, better than some of your other friends do. And you think, man, I'm actually a fairly tolerant person. I don't necessarily jump down the Christian's throat when they express their opinion. And you kind of get a little bit puffed up thinking, man, man, God's probably pretty happy with that. I give him a nod every once in a while. Come every once in a while on a Sunday morning. Maybe I'll make it once or twice in the, in the, you know, apart from Christmas and Easter. They do good for other people, and God loves people who do good. But when your attempts to do good for other people are made to present yourself as a good God and, or a good guy and a holy guy, we want to be careful about that because this word breaks us at that point. This people draw near with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is a commandment taught by men, and we're busted. And I want to conclude with this thought tonight, because I know that most of us here tonight are Christians. And I wonder sometimes if maybe you look at a verse like this and you get undone. And you think, golly, this is true of me a lot. And maybe I'm one of these people who really doesn't have any place in God's kingdom. And I want to encourage you tonight to preach the gospel to yourself. One of the most helpful books that I've ever read, I probably have read it more times than any other book that I've read, and it's called this, Believers Need the Gospel. Peter Jeffrey, a British guy. And I would highly, highly recommend that. Believers Need the Gospel. Because what he says at the beginning, I've found it to be true in a lot of places. The gospel is what gets us started in this life. But once we get saved, then we're on our own and we need a little bit of something extra, something different. The gospel takes us all the way from beginning to end until we're in the presence of him. And this word, I want it to be a word of encouragement. You preach the gospel to yourself. When you do again to your wife, or maybe the wife does to the husband, or to your son or your daughter or whoever, and you think, I've done it again. Man, how consistently I do whatever it is. Remind yourself, that's exactly why Jesus went to the cross. And I have responded to the gospel. I know myself to be his. He has chosen me. I didn't choose him. 
Don't grow complacent in your journey with the Lord. Preach the gospel to yourself regularly. Let's pray. Father, tonight as we uh, think on this word, it absolutely cuts us right to the quick. We are undone. We are desperately in need of a Savior. And thank you that the book of Isaiah as a whole, the scriptures as a whole, point us so clearly to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have given your life for ours. We regularly hear in this place that him who knew no sin has become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And Lord, I just pray tonight there might be one or two here who don't know you. And I ask God that you would, by your spirit, apply the gospel to their heart. Draw them to yourself. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear. And most of all, a heart transplant. And we do ask your blessing on each of us this evening. Help us to be walking closely with you. We ask it in the great name of Jesus. Amen.